There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to the Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace. Today we're talking about mistakes, setbacks, failures, things that go wrong, sometimes by your own doing, sometimes things that were planned, sometimes it's a good mistake in a good way, but things happen. And what we want to talk about is, so how does that turn into successes? So you always hear leaders saying that you should fail fast or you need to learn from your mistakes. And that all sounds like great advice until you fear that this is the one time that your boss isn't going to take that this was a good mistake or a learning opportunity or any of those things. So it's often, you know, you wonder how do you manage these and how do you turn them in successes? Now, fortunately, we have someone today who has the answer to that based on lessons from his own experience and from watching the successes and failures of many other people around him. So Skip Pritchard is my guest. Now, the nice part about Skip is that he is currently a CEO of OCLC, which is a global technology and research organization, and he's been CEO of a bunch of other places, and he's been in corporate life for ages. He just happens to have a sideline passion about writing books and blogs and articles and telling, help advising people on how to have a better career, better successes. So if you're interested, the book is called The Book of Mistakes, Nine Secrets to Creating a Successful Future. Uh, Tips, leadership insights can be seen at his blog, which is www.skipprichard.com. He's won numbers of awards on that blog. Harvard Business Review has called him a relentless giver and others have dubbed him culture changer so an Inc. magazine top 100 uh, leadership speaker and the list goes on BBC New York Times CNN NPR Forbes Huffington Post Entrepreneur HR Magazine Harvard Business Review I've only hit about half of them Skip it's a pleasure to have you on the show Wanda thank you for the invitation to talk with you today and I hope the conversation helps anybody, leaders, wherever they are, experience some breakthroughs. Hopefully, they're not in the midst of a mistake, but if they are, or if they're past one, or if they see one on the horizon, hopefully, we can help them achieve a breakthrough. Okay. And I'd also love to believe that it helps people work with their teams around mistakes or setbacks and successes. All right. Now, I want to start an unusual place here. I want to talk about you for a few minutes. I want to come in the second segment to talk about the book and the secrets to success, but I want to talk about you and about your journey. Um, So you're CEO of OCLC. Tell us about your transition, the time you had to transition in your career when you were really out of the comfort zone. What happened? What worked? What didn't work? What did you learn? Just tell us a little bit about that. Well, it seems my whole life is one of pushing outside of comfort zones, and I think each time I've made a job transition that is especially so. So I can think of the two most recent ones and share some examples. Um, A a couple of career moves ago, I was made president of ProQuest Information and Learning. And it was a public company. And I hadn't really applied for the position, but the CEO said, you are now the new president. And in my first quarter, we walked in and found an accounting uh, issue. I should say issue problem could be called a scandal. It was a serious, serious issue. Had to alert the board and it really thrust me not only into a significant leadership position, but one that put me into the middle of legal, regulatory, communication, turnaround, all of those issues happening all at once. And I think that's one of those times where it's too late to learn. You have to draw on everything that you know, and you have to make the mistakes and successes as as they go. And fortunately, we turned around the company, and, and it worked its way through and sold the company, and it's become very successful. But I really learned about how important it is to rely on others and that it's not the leader. 
it's the leader's ability to showcase and spotlight all the people around the leader because the team is what's going to move things forward. So that's one example where I really got out of my comfort zone and was very much forced to lead. Well, I remember this story, so I'm impressed. And it seems like we see another one of those where a company kind of unknowingly gets itself in the headlines for something gone wrong on a major scale, about every other week, somebody in the world is having that. All right, so one of the things that I'm fascinated by in these transitions is people are nervous. You know, you don't want to be the one who's responsible for taking the company over the cliff completely and everybody's jobs are depending on somehow on you doing some of the right things. And you don't know everything you need to know. Where, what do you turn to for a source of confidence in those moments? I think that there's a power in pausing and reflecting. And oftentimes when you're thrust into the middle of it, things are moving so fast. I remind people, it's just like when you're going to speak or you're going to perform in front of a group. I always remind people that the time in your head seems like it's happening so much faster than it really is. And it's okay to pause and let yourself think, let yourself reflect. If you're a podium and you're giving a keynote speech, give yourself some time. What seems like three seconds it, to you is really not even a second to the audience. And so I think it's important to pause, and then I think it's important to look around you. Who are the leaders that can help you go f- to the next stage? Where are the experts? And rely on each person. Find out people's strengths. And I think it's important to go into whatever you want to call it, a war room, your uh, reflection room, whatever, and, and start mapping out plans for how you're going to move forward, how you're going to get out of this issue. And that can happen corporately. It can also happen if it's a personal issue, and you can look at uh, a personal career mistake or a personal career crisis. How can I bring in people Uh, and help me move forward from this, almost like a virtual board of directors if it's a career issue. It's interesting because everyone I know that I've ever talked to about a crisis and surviving a crisis, a small crisis, career crisis, personal crisis, large-scale corporate public crisis, talk about the value of bringing other people in, not being afraid to say, who knows more about this than I do, where are they, and how do I get them on board? And you find them in unusual places. They're not only obvious ones. And then it's getting that organized and say, what's the next step, the next immediate step, and then what, and then what, and then what? Does that sound like the right formula? Wanda, it really does, and you're right, you never know where it's going to come from, and I think that's the power of the vulnerability of the leader in saying, I need some help here, right? It's not expressing everything that, oh, no, what do I do, kind of crisis management and just kind of whining. That's not going to bring people to your cause, but if you express a need and people have a a desire and some skill to fill that need, you're amazed at the talent that comes out of nowhere or uh, firms that may emerge that you didn't realize could help you in those situations. And so, yes, I'm always surprised. And it's usually never the, the exact place you think it's coming from. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. This uh, this whole notion of vulnerability and the showing that you want help. I think people do want to help, but that they don't know if it will be welcome or not. And if you send out the signals that says, no, i got everything under control, they tend to go hide. As opposed to the signals that say, yeah, listen to any advice. Anybody got an idea? Anybody got experience? Anybody anything? Then you find people come forth. At least that's what I see. I see that too, Wanda. I also think it is a careful line, right? Because you don't want to go so far that you lack confidence and you're demonstrating, I have no clue. I have no idea what to do. I'm in panic mode. That's going to decrease confidence. And then you don't want to also come across as too almost arrogant. I have it all. I don't need you, right? It's that careful line of saying, I'm vulnerable. I need help. And yet, I'm confident and sure that we're going to make it out of this and be in a better place. And that leadership balance, I think, is one that you have to walk very carefully. Great. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it already. All right. So let's shift to a different, slightly different place. I want to say you have such an unusual experience of where you grew up. 
Tell us a little bit about that and about your first study of successes and mistakes. It was definitely an unusual way to grow up and definitely an atypical household. We took people in. I say we, my parents. They had six children, and you would think that would be enough, but my parents decided that they would welcome people who were in need. Really, I like to say the abused, the addicted, and the abandoned, because those categories of people came into our home, all nationalities, all ages, all different backgrounds. But they all had one common issue, which was that they were troubled in some way. Drug addiction, uh, many had been abused um, in various ways, whether children or adults. And it was a, a place for them to come, to heal, and to move on. Now, some people stayed with us for a few days, and others stayed with us for years and years. And so it was an incredibly different way to grow up because we had this melting pot of people and ideas and problems and What fascinated me early on was watching people and what would happen to them after they left. So you'd have one person maybe leave, maybe go to school even while they were were at our house, get a job, start working, go to community college, become successful, meaning my own job, I'm independent, I'm off of drugs type of thing. And somebody else with the same basic set of issues would leave and come back, wouldn't be able to get out of that um, addiction, wouldn't be able to rise above what had happened. And I started really looking at that and thinking, well, why is it? And, and you know, you could always come up with a variety of reasons, background, psychological impact, et cetera. And I remember I was a kid. I wasn't, I wasn't a uh, psychiatrist studying this. But I, I started looking and seeing this, and I started seeing some common things, and I started this success study, failure study, really that long ago. What was it? You know, why did this one do well and this one get stuck? And uh, that became something that fascinated me my whole life. So I started picking that up in the corporate world when I was working of why is this company doing well, or why is this leader doing well, and this one not so well, right? So that, that's where it all started for me was in childhood. So it was a very different way to grow up and start your study of success. It's incredible. I talk about on-the-ground learning. So how many people at any given time did you have in your household? At any given time, it would range from 1 to 10 um, oh, wow. would be – staying that that night. Um, It would just depend on the time and and what was going on. There was really no reason or limits or focus on that. It was just who happened to come through. And it was quite odd. And you'd ask some people how they found us, and you'd get this variety of answers. Some had, you know, gotten a recommendation. One person had a phone number on a... um, Back in the days of payphone booth, <laughs> called this thing, and, and they called and came. So it, it, just, it just really depended. There was really no, um, no set number. Wow, I cannot imagine. There's a thousand questions about that experience going on in my head, but let me kind of drill down to, so is there any difference between people who've been abused and figure out how to rise above it and move on with our lives and somebody in a corporate world who's trying to succeed? Is there any difference in who succeeds and who fails? Well, I think there's so many differences in terms of um, – long-term success and the situations they're facing, et cetera. But there's also some commonalities. And the the human condition is the same for us, right? We're all facing certain things that we think limit us or hold us back. And one person may say it is a teacher who labeled me stupid and said that to me, right? Mm -hmm. And that stuck with me. And then somebody else may say it was an abusive situation. It, It it ranges what happens, but we have this common set of things that can hold us back or thought patterns that can hold us back, experiences that hold us back. So I certainly, especially with the experience I have, don't minimize or neglect people who have true mental health challenges that need serious help. 
that is going to be a completely different category than someone who's trying to get into the next level. Right. But there is there there are some commonalities of, of things that and threads that run through everyone that all of us need to overcome to achieve. Okay. All right. So give me an example, and I know we're going to talk about this in just a minute, but give me an example of a thread that runs through all of us in order to succeed. Well, one of the mistakes in my book, mistake number three, is accepting excuses. (laughs) And it's one that we can all uh, relate to. So somebody's excuse may be, well, this isn't the way I grew up, or you don't understand what happened to me, or I can't go to counseling because those excuses could also be, well, we don't have enough profit this quarter to do that. I'm not sure that our shareholders will want to take that risk, or I could blame taxes, the weather, the economy, customers, the competition. There's all sorts of things that we can use as excuses. So excuses is something that whether you're an individual, whether you're a team, leader, whether you're a company, all of us will have a thread of saying, hey, I'd much rather be in this place of just accepting the excuse and uh, and moving on because it's more comfortable for me to just use this excuse as the reason for my failure rather than taking accountability for it. Wow. All right. So somebody takes accountability for the excuse. They start to recognize that one, there's an excuse. Okay. Yes, there's an excuse. And then, then what? Well, I, I think accountability is, is where it, it all starts and, and comes alive. You know, I learned about excuses from a lot of different places, but one that really uh, hits me hard is Rich Gaspari. And Rich Gaspari is CEO of Gaspari Nutrition, um, worldwide nutrition company. But he was a bodybuilder, is a bodybuilder. And he wrote a book called No Excuses. And I interviewed him and I was talking to him about how he was on the cover of a magazine decades before. And he said, I'm going to be on the cover again. And people are thinking, well, that doesn't happen, right? I mean, you're decades older, etc. And he talked about the fact that Anything stopping him from doing that is just an excuse. And I thought about that, and I thought about the excuse that that we would all have for, you know, I was thinking, well, I I better start running again, or I better go lift some weights myself. But that's the same thing that we do in business. And so accountability is the the first step, and then we have to get ready for what we want to uh, go forward with. What what is our goal? Um, And one of the things that... uh, people have quoted me a lot on is is about readiness because it all starts with readiness. If you're going to start your journey of success, you have to be ready. And in order to be ready, you start with accountability. But it's readiness is when your desire is greater than your distraction. If you are not there, you're not ready, don't even begin. Then you're going to be stuck with excuses. You're going to be stuck with reasons why you can't do it. If you're ready, readiness is when your desire is greater than your distraction. So you have to really think about your desire of what you want and make sure that's what exactly you want. And then you have to think, what are the distractions? What's going to stop me from achieving? What's going to pull me back? Whether that be competition or whether that be on a diet, the things that I've put in my refrigerator, right? Those are distractions. So how do I eliminate the distractions and how do I increase my desire? And the more I start with readiness, the easier it will be to overcome those excuses and achieve what I want to accomplish, whether that be as a team leader in the corporate setting or individually. That's interesting. Um, one of the guests that we interviewed a few couple months ago is Stu Wilkinson, who is a sports psychologist of sorts and works with Olympic hopefuls and Olympic team athletes in some places. And he says that the biggest thing, apart from some basic skill, uh, is that you have to know why you want it. And it has to be why you want it. Not why your parents want it, not why your coach wants it, not why anybody wants it. And he would say the same is true for corporate. And you're saying the same thing. I have I to know that. what it is I want, and I have to mean it for myself. Love it. I love that. Right. Ready, that's the desire part, right? And this is when your desire is greater than your distraction. And, and that's what is liftoff. Right is is the right. desire inside of me? Why do I want it? What he was saying, I think, is so important. That's the engine to fuel it, and yet uh, you also have to think about the other side because you have to anticipate. Oh, sometimes we get so excited about what we want to do, 
we don't think about the distractions, the things that are going to kind of pull us back, the things that are going to weigh us down. But I think it's important before we even start to think, what's going to weigh me down? Or who's mm-hmm. going to weigh me down? And then try right. to work around that in the planning rather than thinking. So often I know I would make the mistake of being shocked and surprised that somebody wasn't fully supportive of my goal. When I, I should have thought of that. Like that shouldn't have been yeah. a surprise. Yeah, yeah. And have a plan for it so that you're not completely befuddled when that happens. Okay, Skip, we're going to take a break here. With me today is Skip Pritchard. Uh, Skip is currently CEO of OCLC, and he's been the global CEO for quite a while. He also happens to love to write phenomenal articles and books on leadership. He's the author of The Book of Mistakes, Nine Secrets to Creating a Successful Future. And as you just heard, Skip started this at a very early age, watching people come through his parents' home, watching who succeeded and went on and who didn't. And we've been talking about the power of readiness, when the desire is greater than the distraction. And you don't want to start until your desire is greater than your distraction. So we take a break. When we come back, we're going to move on to some of these other elements that make up the nine secrets to creating a successful future. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Skip Pritchard. Skip is CEO of OCLC, which is a global technology and research organization. Um, The book that Skip has written that has been a Wall Street Journal bestseller is called The Book of Mistakes, Nine Secrets to Creating a Successful Future. I can highly recommend it. And I can recommend Skip's blogs at www.skippritchard.com. We've been talking about Skip's experience in his own transitions and growing up in his home family of origin, watching people who succeed in his own successes and failures and challenges. And that has been part of the fuel that has created his insights on what are the nine secrets that create a successful future. We were just talking about the power of readiness. Well, first off, of accepting no excuses, and of two, of readiness. And readiness is when desire is greater than distractions. But you have to look at the distractions and you have to prepare for them. So, okay, Skip, take this anywhere you want to go. Tell us about the secrets of what what else makes for a successful future. Well, I guess I would start with mistake number one, which is a big one. It's one that really resonates as I talk to people in transition in life, especially college students starting out or people midlife looking to change jobs, and that is this. Mistake number one is working on someone else's dream. (laughs) So often we do this, right? Why did you major in math? Well, mom said to. Why are you in marketing? Well, my first boss thought I was good at blah, blah, blah. We end up in places as if it just happened to us instead of by design. We, we, we act like we just floated along and somehow here we are 
how did we get here? And that so often happens to people, and they wonder, why am I not happy? Why am I not fulfilled? Well, it's because I didn't step back and think, wait a minute. I'm working on someone else's dream. I've been, I've been swept into it instead of designing one for me. And I think that is incredibly important for people to think about their own dream, their own version of success. It doesn't mean you necessarily have to have your own business. Some people think, oh, it must mean that. It could, but it doesn't mean that. It means, what do I want? What's giving me fulfillment? What's giving me happiness? Where's my passion? And am I doing that? Or am I stuck in a place not of my design and I'm stuck in someone else's dream? I think it's an enormously important part of success. So, you know, some people would argue that you find your passion, you follow your passion. And other people I know would say, you don't know what your passion is until you get started. That passions sort of emerge from experiences. Which side of the fence do you sit on on that one? I'm on both. It depends. I think it depends. Like any lawyer, I would say it depends. It depends on your, um, when it emerges for you. And that's why there's not a right time necessarily when you can start working on your dream. But you want to start thinking about it each and every year. And, you know, a great time for me is always when New Year's rolls around and and I spend less time thinking about a New Year's resolution and much more time thinking about who am I becoming. And the, the dream piece of it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, here's my career and here's exactly what I'm doing. Start with who you want to be. Because the dream for who you want to be is probably going to stay consistent no matter what your career is, right? So what is that dream, right? Some people will think you could think of it as Stephen Covey used to say, begin with the end in mind, and you can think about your funeral and what people will say about you. I think that's um, maybe a bit much for some people, but think about what what would I like people to say to work with me? around, you know, about, about my year, about how this year was going. And you could start there. And so the dream might not necessarily be starting with, this is exactly what I want to do, but start the dream with what do I want to be? What do I want to be known for? What do I want people to say about me? What adjectives would people use about me? And if I start there, then I can work into, okay, now what vehicle do I want to use in order to achieve what I want to become? Right. But still that notion of it has to be me, not what my parents thought I should be doing, not what a coach thinks I should be doing, not what an admired mentor thinks I should be doing, not what my CEO thinks I should be doing. It's around what it is I want to be. It's it's true. It has to be personal. And there are times when it, it is easier to go with the flow or we're still learning uh, you know, not not everyone emerges uh, in kindergarten and says, this is exactly what I want to do, and I want to lead this, and I'm going to have this fantastic radio program, right? I mean, not, not everybody's going to think that way when they start out. Most won't. But think about what you want to be, and then keep pursuing it. Every year, pursue. What is my dream? What's giving me happiness? And And part of what will emerge, I always tell people to go through this exercise of energy, what gives you energy and what takes away your energy? And if you're really tuned into that on a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute basis, and then you reflect on it in a year, you'll start to see a pattern of where your talents and where your purpose is. Because when you're in your zone, you're going to feel like, I'm not even working. I don't even feel like I'm working. It's just so fun. Well, that gives you energy. Right? You're, you're, yeah. you're energized and engaged with that. And so how do I do more of that? Now, of course, if the only thing that gives you energy is lying in a beach and having margaritas delivered to you, then you may uh, have a challenge. <laughs> but in general, when you're doing work and you feel like, yeah, this time passed so quickly, it gave me a lot of energy, tune into that and think about why that is. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I think also we get caught up um, like the young guy that I was talking, we get caught up in the need to be immediately successful without understanding that sometimes there's a bit of growth. I've got to stay with this a bit of time to see if I can get to be good at it because that also makes it more fun. All right, so mistake number one is working on somebody else's dreams. So the notion is I want to be really sure I think about what gives me energy, 
what is my version of success? What do I want to be known for? What do I want people to say about me? And then find the vehicle that gets us there. Right, so that's mistake number one. What's another mistake that you see? Well, I'll go to mistake number two, which is an, another big one, and that is accepting other people's negative labels for ourselves. You know, it derived, yeah, I, yeah. I thought about this, the take the nickel, the simple nickel, right? How much is a nickel worth? It's worth what? Five cents, last I checked. How much does it cost us to make a nickel? Do you know? I have no idea. About 10 cents. <laughs> so it costs, and leave it to the government, right? It costs just over 10 cents to make a nickel. And why is it worth a nickel? Because the label we put on it says five cents. Okay. And when I saw that and read about that and thought about that, I thought, how often do we allow negative labels to be stamped on us and to stay with us longer than they should? When someone says, you're not a good speaker, mm -hmm. you don't know what you're doing, mm -hmm. you're not good at sports, mm -hmm. who do you think you are? Right? Mm -hmm. Whatever people will say, we allow these negative labels that a third grade teacher might have blocked on us <laughs> to stay with us decades later, and then we end up in a coaching session. <laughs> where somebody's peeling off a label and digging into why that is because it, it hit us. And so something years later will poke us into that spot and take us right back to the third grade where we got that label. And so a big part of not being limited and, and having a successful future is not accepting other people's negative labels. We should define our labels. And so there's, there's literally exercises that you can go. I, I remember the very first team I led as a manager. I was so proud of myself. Wanda, I got this management job. Great. I was so proud. I realized later nobody else wanted it. It <laughs> doesn't matter. You got it. Yeah. I was like, oh, all right. So I got this management job, and the team was dead last in the country for years. It, it was known right. as the dead last team. And I got the team together and I said, everybody write down why we cannot be the number one team in the country, which is a pretty easy exercise because they had been the losing team for years. So everybody wrote down all these reasons. Hmm. I say they were labels. And I had everyone pass them forward. We threw them into this metal bucket. This is downtown Philadelphia. And then I lit that bucket of excuses on fire. Those labels were burned up. Now, Fortunately, nothing went off in the building. I learned later <laughs> from the office manager that open fires in a building are not, that's not really acceptable. But the, the point was we, we had accepted as a team all of these negative labels, and those labels were winning. We were letting that define us. You're the last team. You're this. You're that. And I said, put that aside. Now write down what we're going to be. In your wildest imagination, and everybody wrote, number one team in the country, we're known for this. People are coming to us for our expertise. Clients love us. And we relabeled ourselves. We posted them all over the place and started to get a vision for ourselves for what we should be. Well, whether it's personal or whether it's a team or whether it's a whole company, we allow labels to stick with us much longer negatively them positively. It's much harder for us to remember when someone says something complimentary. We, we don't let that stick so yeah. much. Maybe it's humility. Yeah. You know, psychologists will say you have to hear it 20-something times more. But the negative ones stick. And so we have to be very deliberate. And I think that success is about removing those negative labels, putting on those positive labels, and to continually feed the positive over the negative so that we can drive ourselves and our teams to uh, more achievement. I can't tell you how many times as a coach I have seen this. And, you know, in the family situation, I see this as well. I, you know, I see individuals, younger people, who's, somebody told them somewhere in school they weren't very smart or weren't very academically gifted. 20 years later, we're still dealing with that issue. 
And again, the ones who get over it and say, well, maybe that teacher wasn't very smart next (laughs) are the ones who go, okay, well, I've done pretty well under the circumstances. But I see it all the time. And I see the people that are willing to tackle the negative label, who are willing to say, all right, you think I'm that, I will show you. Because I don't think I Yes, it it can be a fuel, right? It can be a fuel uh, to say... Thank you for thank you for doing that. And I've had people who go back and tell someone this, and they don't even remember it. Of course, saying like, I don't I don't remember doing this, but it it becomes a fuel for them to prove something differently. And uh, so sometimes it can be just exactly the right thing that you need. But I've had people say, "Oh, so I was told I was not good on standardized tests, or uh, I'm this, I can't read well, this, that, and the other." And who I've always said, who are these people? And why are you giving them so much power over your future? Why don't you decide what you want to label and how you want to go forward? Yeah, and maybe our knowledge has moved on as well. I love that. Who are these people? (laughs) Fabulous. Okay, I get three fabulous pieces of advice, one from the first show that I want to start when the desire is greater than the distractions when I'm ready. Number two is that I want to work on my dream, not somebody else's, and that's to stop and say, what is it I want to be known for? Who do I want to be? Each year, add to that, change it, shift it, and then again, not accept the negative labels. Decide what my positive labels are, feed those, and ignore, put aside, question, challenge the others as best as you can. All right, Skip, two minutes before we take another break. I have to know, which, what's one more tip, one more mistake? Well, there, there are, are so many places that we could start, but I would say one of them is allowing temporary setbacks to become failures. And this is what we were talking about earlier, which is stick-to-itiveness or what uh, Angela Duckworth calls grit. It is the ability to continue through difficult, difficult times so that you don't just give up with the first setback, right? The famous example is Thomas Edison. We've heard it all the time, you know, when asked about failing the light bulb a thousand times. He said, I didn't fail a thousand times. It was an invention with a thousand steps. But we allow sometimes temporary setbacks to stop us or labels, right? Disney told he was lacked imagination and he proved them wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. Einstein was told, you know, you're mentally slow. And then look what happened. He's Einstein. Uh, Michael Jordan, he was cut from his basketball team. I always think, imagine if you were the high school basketball coach who cut Michael Jordan. (laughs) That would probably not be what you want to be known for. Oprah was too emotionally tied to her stories. All these things, any one of these things, Seinfeld was booed I don't know how many times. But those are temporary setbacks. And they are not going to, people who are successful are not going to allow temporary, temporary setbacks become permanent failures. It's mistake number six. They, they have this grit. They have this determination. They are going to go through whatever it is. Cancer, bring it on. Difficult thing at work, bring it on. Challenging boss, I'm going to figure out how to work through it. Whatever challenges come, I'm not going to let it be a failure. I'm going to only have this be a temporary setback. I have this, oh, this incredible, and what, you know, Skip, that one of the things I love to ask people when I have them in a panel discussion is describe one of their biggest setbacks. The first thing I'll tell you is I've never talked to a senior executive who doesn't have a boatload of them, and some of them quite dramatic. And, you know, sometimes it takes years to get past that particular setback or mistake or label even in that case, but they just don't give up. They say, I will get there. I know I'm going to get there. And they keep moving on. It's, inc- it's truly incredible. It is truly incredible. I, I think of uh, my friend Lee Woodruff, and she's an amazing um, newscaster. She, was married to, she is married to Bob Woodruff, who is the ABC anchor, who, um, whose vehicle in Iraq was hit by a roadside bomb. And she yeah. said that when bad things happen, we all dream of rewinding the tape. But we can't. So we do the only thing we can. We 
take those bad things, we turn them into situations we can learn from. And it's human nature to pan for gold and to find a positive slant in something negative because anything less feels like defeat. That's the kind of attitude that the most successful people have. It doesn't matter what you throw at me. I'm going to get around it. I'm going to not let it stop me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did a show a couple of months ago with Mac Wallace, um, who happens to be my brother, around forgiveness and mm-hmm. the ability to forgive. You know, somebody's something's happened, and the power of forgiveness for me, not for necessarily the person who's done it to me. And he says that the number one thing that you start with is recognizing that you will never have another past. That whatever that you happened, will never have another past. Past, right. Whatever happened is whatever happened. That is part That's of good. your history. Okay? Now, what do you do with it? And this is that same that is so thing. Good. Of, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I have seen this, and, and it's amazing to see people who have this amazing, beautiful power of forgiveness. I interviewed Immaculate Illibagiza, and she has this amazing story in the Rwandan crisis, and, and her family was just was, was murdered. Her friends were murdered. She's hiding in a bathroom with few women, and she could hear them chanting her name because they wanted to kill her. These were former friends of hers. And in the midst of all of this uh, complete... Um, just the worst of humanity, she comes out the other end and lives a life of forgiveness, teaches forgiveness. And and that, to me, is just an extraordinary uh, part of the human spirit that we can rise above and and move forward and not let these things uh, stop us from our destiny. Right. Powerful, powerful stuff. You know, it's easy to say, but when you find people who've actually lived this in extreme circumstances, you see the power of what you're saying. All right, well, we're going to take a break again. With me today is Skip Pritchard. Skip is CEO of OCLC, a global technology and research organization. He's the author of a Wall Street Journal bestseller, highly recommended, The Book of Mistakes, Nine Secrets to Creating a Successful Future. And Skip's blogs on um, www.skippritchard.com has won a whole bunch of awards. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to take just a few minutes to talk to Skip about his label of being a culture culture changer and how he sees that happening. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Skip Pritchard. The book we're going to talk about is called The Book of Mistakes, Nine Secrets to Creating a Successful Future. Skip is also a CEO of a global technology and research organization. We've been talking about the mistakes that people make that prevent them from reaching their own level of success. And just to hit the highlights of what we've talked about thus far, mistake number three is accepting excuses. So don't do that. Be accountable, take responsibility, and get ready. And use readiness when the desire is greater than the distraction. Um, Mistake number two 
is accepting other people's negative labels. And mistake number one is working on someone else's dream rather than your own. Dream doesn't have to be a big thing. It just needs to be what it is you want to be and how you want to be it. And mistake number six, one of my favorite, is not allowing setbacks to become failures. And setbacks can be labels or mistakes or temporary setbacks or massive problems along the way. All right, so Skip has also been called a culture changer, and he has quite a reputation for being able to help organizations, groups change the culture. I have a fascination with this, so I can't help but ask Skip, how do you go about changing an organizational culture? What's the secret? There are so many ways we could have so many sections on this, but I I would start off by one of the mistakes that I've made in changing culture which is before you think about where you want to go, you have to make sure you understand where the organization is. And type A leaders who are driven and come in and are change agents and want to take the organization a certain place, oftentimes we go too quickly. And you don't, you don't stop, slow down, and assess where is this organization right now? I'll give a small example of a mistake I made that I thought would be helpful. So I had always worked in organizations where meetings would start and people weren't there and people would come late and you'd have to recap what was going on. It was very annoying. And so I heard this tip at a leadership seminar. It said all meetings should start at six minutes after the hour. And I thought, well, that's clever. And the the speaker had these reasons that you know, people had to grab a drink or friend of the restroom, whatever it is. And if you started at six minutes after, it was just unusual. You could close the door and that would be that. So when I had joined Ingram, and I was the CEO of Ingram Content Company, which is the largest book trades wholesaler in the in the world, I think, they uh, had a culture and I joined and I brought this thing. I said, hey, we're going to start all meetings at six minutes after. And people just looked at me. Well, their culture was actually one where the meeting started early. It was completely <laughs> different. And so here I brought in a solution where I thought, oh, I'm so clever. And everybody there had been lined up to be in the meeting 10 minutes before it started. Everyone's ready. And that's a small little example. But it was a mistake I made because I'm bringing in a solution from a place where it's not needed. So assess where the culture is and make sure you understand that culture before you try to move it, change it. And cookie cutter approaches just don't work. Don't bring in the, you know, here's my 14 point formula. I use this at every company. When CEOs or leaders come in with that, this is the way it works. This is the way it always works. It, it is not going to be as successful because you're not as adaptive to the culture and the people and the leadership and the needs of that organization. And so a listening tour inside and outside an organization is always an excellent place to start. Uh, that's, that's been my experience. Okay. One of the things, I mean, so I, I'm 100% on board with you on this one because you don't, I think oftentimes people who are trying to change the culture don't actually even understand how the culture works, meaning how the different parts fit with each different part. And some of those parts, the systems view of it, actually constrain what it is we can and cannot do. So I just think understanding all those component parts and the culture of it is really critical along the way. Fascinating, yeah. right? It really is, and you have to understand even terminology and vocabulary. Some word might mean something completely different. You use that word in another setting, and it's charged with history, and you're not aware of it as you walk Mm -hmm. in. Uh, There are all sorts of things that can happen that way. So really understanding the people process systems is is very important. And then you want to look as a leader to create stories. So as you look for where you want to go, you're going to create stories because stories that people remember are going to be often skewed to the negative side, and you want to create these positive stories, spotlights of success, people who are doing really well, people who embody the values that you want everyone to embrace. Embrace and move to. Um, I think another big thing in in culture is hiring for attitude over skills. You know, you have to have great people. You have to have the skills, but attitude is so important. And don't settle for the person who's a tremendous expert, but they're so negative that they're dragging the organization down. Uh, It never works. Another mistake I made was having a star performer who held us hostage with a very bad attitude. You, you just will not do well. 
and everybody's watching. How are you going to deal with that person? We know that person's a superstar, but we know that person is playing for him or herself and not for the organization. So hiring the right people, I think, is extraordinarily important. And do you think you also, um, Skip, have to make some tough choices in some of that? So you've got an expert who's holding you hostage, who's not getting on board with the values. They're being very self-centric and doing any of the things that you're asking people to do. You know, do you just make a call and cut them? You do. And I think one of the biggest mistakes most leaders will tell you is the people that they've held on too long. Uh, Sometimes it's because you're friends with the person. Sometimes it's because you admire the person. You're desperately hoping that the person will take coaching and, and get to the next level, but they can't. And that person is better off leaving the organization, and the organization is better. So making that tough choice yeah, is it, really hard, and sometimes you struggle with it. I know I do. I never want to be the type of leader who um, doesn't have a sleepless night if I'm letting somebody go. But it is always better for the organization for you to make those decisions and and stick with them and, and move forward if they're not going to live to the values of the organization. Great. Well, Skip, you're right. We could spend an entire other show talking about changing culture, and maybe we just have to come back and do that because this is, I think this is fascinating stuff. We're out of time today. My guest, again, is Skip Pritchard. The book, if you're interested, The Book of Mistakes, Nine Secrets to Creating a Successful Future, and I can highly recommend Skip's blogs at www.skippritchard.com. Numerous awards, all sorts of writing, all sorts of everywhere. Skip, thank you for being a guest. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a great experience, and you have just so many amazing guests and shows to listen to. I I love it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that tip. I think the thing that I like best out of all that you said is this notion about readiness, that when desire is greater than the distractions, you're ready to start. I love that. I think that's just so clever. At any rate, thank you again. And join us next week for another episode in getting out of your own comfort zone. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.